I'm Mrs. G Fashion, which is what the students call me. From Six City Marketing, this is the Prof PodQuest. A journey into higher education innovation, searching for and celebrating game-changing educators. I'm Sarah Shookman. Get fancy for this one, friends. On today's program, we're talking fashion and its future with Trista L. Greeter, a senior lecturer at Kent State University's School of Fashion. Trista's courses focus on computer-aided design, but her own international career as a designer has placed her in a unique position to advise students as they study fashion across the globe. Professor Greeter, thank you so much for meeting with me today and talking to us on the Prof PodQuest. Thank you for having me. Well, we're really excited to talk to you. As you know, uh, we are based in Cleveland here with Six City, and you're not too far away in Kent on this beautiful fall day. How's it going? That's true. Um, I actually grew up in Parma, so I'm actually not that, wasn't that far from Cleveland growing up. And then I went to school in Kent, and then I eventually ended up back in Kent. So it is a beautiful day here. The trees are in full bloom and color, and so the campus is looking pretty nice. Oh my gosh, yeah, with the sun sparkling through, I can picture it now. Let's start by talking about what your days look like right now. What are you teaching? What do you do on campus these days? So my days are pretty busy right now. I just became the study away coordinator. Uh, I had been a study away assistant coordinator for about the last two years. So um, my days uh, in between classes consist of answering quite a bit of emails and getting ready for our students to be studying away, whether it's in New York City, uh, Paris, um, Florence, South Korea, Hong Kong, London. Um, we have a tremendous study away program. Wow. My classes I teach, I teach fashion technology. And so I teach students the software that they are going to need to go out and be successful in the field of fashion. And I teach them um, about kind of the inner workings of what it really is to be a designer and to create tech packs, which are sort of a blueprint for how a garment is created. Fascinating. Tell me a little bit about the school itself, because I think your program is so well-respected and, and highly sought after, and maybe not something that every university offers. That is true. Um, so we have been around since the 80s. We've grown quite a bit in the last, I would say, 20 years. Um, I actually went to school here as a student. At that time, I had about six students in my junior class compared to now where we have, oh, I don't know, over 75 fashion design students in a class at a time. We have one of the largest uh, fashion design areas that we've had in a while. We also have fashion merchandising, and I don't want to ignore that part because that's such an important part to the fashion industry where students can become buyers. They can um, get a chance to work in media, marketing, all sorts of different areas that really make the business of fashion run. So even though we tend to think of fashion designers as the only exciting piece of it, uh, the fashion merchandising program is really important as well. Absolutely. And how did Kent become such a, a hotbed for this work? So that's a really good question. I think part of it was our study away program that really helped um, 
Dr. Rhodes, who was actually here as the school director when I went to school here in the 90s, had started to get together our New York City program and to get a chance to take students to Florence and really kind of initiated some of that. But the person that actually was my boss when I was hired was J.R. Campbell, and he actually instituted that students were required to study away when they came to school here. And I would say that that's one of the biggest pieces why students like to come here, because not all programs have study away campuses or study away programs that they can really be that involved in. We have some amazing ones in Florence. We have our own campus there. We have... Um, you, know, you can go to Hong Kong, you could go to London for a summer, you can go to Paris, you can, I mean, there's just so many really cool programs. And that was an important piece for us to become very globalized. Another piece that we have is we're only one of the only, I think, four schools that has a knitting program. So we actually have these very expensive knitting machines here at Kent State that are by Stoll, which is a German company. And so we're really pushing the idea of knit. We actually just opened a new museum display all about knit that if anybody wants to come down and visit it, it's really cool. I don't think people realize how many items in the world are truly knitted. And so these are big flatbed machines that you can knit fully fashioned um, fashion as well as other things on them as well. So we really have some very unique things here at Kent. I don't know that people think of Cleveland as being the most fashionable place in the world, but I think that Kent could give just about anywhere a run for their money with the designers and the incredible process you have there. What's really unique about us is that we're not just a fashion school. We're a part of a larger university, which they can have a true university experience and then also be a part of a fashion school. So it's kind of a twofold opportunity for them. So if they don't want to go live in a big metropolitan area, coming to Kent is very kind of homey and very cool and very accepting. And then, you know, they also get a piece to be part of this cool fashion school. We just opened up two new wings of our, of our school where we redid the first and second floor. It's beautiful. We have the knitting area that's hugely on display downstairs. We have a textile lab. We have a new library that we've kind of turned into. It's not, you know, libraries aren't the same anymore. So it's really a working space. It's a, it's a gathering space as well as it's a library. So there's some really great, new, unique, uh, beautifully open areas here at the school. Well, especially as you were a student there, tell me about your story, how you found uh, yourself interested in this field and then, you know, what your experience was like there as a student and then to return as a professor. Yeah, so unique, uh, probably a unique story in the fact that at age 13, I think I figured out what I sort of wanted to do. I knew I wanted to be in fashion. Um, something my mom and I, and actually my mom instilled in me, uh, was that we would go shopping every Saturday. It was sort of our outing. And I remember just thinking um, how important fashion was. My mom um, was a single parent who was that 80s mom who had like all the cool shoes and all the really awesome, <laughs> um, you know, looks and had just gone out into the workforce for the first time. And I just remember thinking that in some way, shape or form that I wanted to do something in fashion. 
I actually only looked at Kent State. I did not look at any other schools when I decided on a college. And so that was kind of my pinpoint. And I remember being really excited when I got to Kent. Um, my sister had gone to school at Kent. And so I knew about the program, but I don't think as much as, as what had happened or occurred once I got here. So when I came to Kent, um, I did study fashion. I also studied costume design. I ended up actually graduating in costume design design. I did about three years in fashion, and then I went over and finished up in costume. I still wanted to be a part of the fashion industry, though. Um, when I was here, we didn't have study away campuses. We had study away tours. So the way that I found my very first job was one of those study tours. It was a Southern States tour when we used to still create a lot of things in the United States. And that was when we went down and took a tour of Wrangler. And that was actually my very first job out in the industry down in North Carolina. And I actually, um, you know, went into an area that I had, I didn't know anything about uh, Western wear. And so it was kind of a cool um, way to start. I had an amazing first boss. I didn't know anything about computer design. And she looked at my portfolio, said, I can teach you computers. And that's how I actually got started as a computer-aided designer way back in 1998. (laughs) So quite a while ago. I hate that this is a podcast in some (laughs) ways because I'm picturing all of these, you know, fashion is, is in front of you. And I keep picturing first your mom as like Melanie Griffith and working girl. Is that, is that the kind of look she had? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. She had like so many pairs of unbelievable shoes and she had those power suits and it was really cool to see her go from a stay at home mom to like a working powerhouse mom. Yeah. Yeah. And the way that fashion helped her build her confidence, maybe, or that you saw that, you know? Absolutely. And actually, one of her pastimes was doing country western dancing. So it wasn't really that unusual that I ended up at Wrangler because my mom would like do the full garb of the dress. So it was really (laughs) interesting. She had, you know, a ton of cool cowboy boots and it, it was just a lot of fun to see her. And yeah, fashion really did help her kind of transform into herself. And it, it's still something she actually, she's 79. She just retired. So it was something that was always a piece of kind of who she was. And Wrangler. Wow. What an iconic brand to mm-hmm. be your first job. I think it was. everybody can picture, you know, whether it's a jean jacket or some of that more Western wear. What What are some of the designs that you worked on while you were there? So I started off in menswear, which was actually a really, I, I had never imagined myself starting off in menswear, but it was a great way to start because menswear only has so many different kind of, at least back then, only had so many kinds of styles. And so it kind of was a safer place to start to learn design because um, I wasn't really up on the computer programs that I needed to be up on. And so it gave me some time. I did like hunting wear, fishing gear. I did some really interesting things. I did some designs like Garth Brooks used to wear. Um, He actually came to Wrangler one time when I was there. That was really cool. I got to see several different pieces uh, and people, important people as I was um, there and learning. And then eventually um, we moved into women's wear and I did help create a really unique jean that was different at the time we created. It was, oh, I want to say 128 different SKUs to try and um, fit all different body types. So we went from like a short to a medium to a tall, and then we went to like a petite to like a tall leg. So it was one of those first jeans that had like a contoured waistband and 
was really like, we tried to fit so many different ranges of people. It was really a big ask for us to try and do, but it was a really cool project to work on. Anyone that's gone jean shopping can attest how hard it is to to find a jean that yeah. fits well and fits everyone. So I can only imagine that would be quite an undertaking to actually design it. it. Yeah, we really worked as a team. I mean, I have to say it was a small team, but it was a great team. I had a really awesome boss um, that was a merchandiser and really taught me kind of the business of fashion, which was great as a designer, not only to be thinking about design, but to be thinking about like the backbone of sales. And I think that's kind of kept leading my process as I've gone along. And I try and instill that in the students that it's not just about designing something great. It has to be sold too. And so I I think that that's a, a reality that I try and bring to my job and to the students every day is thinking about the cost of the garment, thinking about, you know, how is that going to be made? Where do you source things at factories, you know? All of those things, you know, is that really a possible, feasible thing that you might fight for a color that's new and that might be the only thing that you get into a new design? It might not be this like brand spanking crazy design that, you know, that just getting that color could be a win. And so like just really a reality in fashion because that's really where I was rooted and what I learned and really my first boss uh, taught me quite a, a lot about that. So continue to walk me down your journey um, from Wrangler. Where did you go next and how did you eventually end up in a teaching capacity? So I left there and I went to a sock company, which was unusual. So I learned how to design socks, which is extremely technical. I actually had to take classes, Hosiery 101 and Hosiery 102 to learn how to make socks. And that company didn't stay in North Carolina for very long. They kind of had been from San Diego. They moved and then they went back. Um, And then I dipped my toe into teaching a little bit at the University of North Carolina at Greensboro in their retail program. And I learned really fast that I needed a master's degree to be able to continue on. So at that point, I wasn't quite ready to do that. So I went back into the industry and moved to Georgia for a while and worked for a company called Augusta Sportswear, where they did like sports blanks. So if you were on a team, like hats, bags, stuff like that. So I worked for them for a little while. Okay. It was very different than anything I'd done before. Um, I wasn't used to it. Uh, it was kind of Excel-based, so that was a new software for me to learn. And then at the time, I, a recruiter called me from Dillard's, and they were interested in um, having me come out and apply for a senior designer job. So I actually went and did a uh, very in-depth interview with Dillard's and got the job and ended up moving to Arkansas. And so I worked for Dillard's for a while in their women's wear category as a senior designer. And I think it was about that time that I was kind of, uh, my kids were young, you know, they were like eight and 10. I was traveling overseas three weeks, four weeks at a time, kind of hard. And so I I decided that um, I, and I remember being at a factory and thinking how cool it would be for students to see this and to think that I hadn't seen a lot of that when I was going through school. And that's when I decided that I would pursue my master's degree and go back. um, And I wanted to teach. So I took a small job at a little college in Arkansas called Hendricks, which is a, a private school. I was an internship coordinator for a little while. I finished up my master's degree and then I actually just applied at Kent only. 
my boss, who became my boss, J.R. Campbell, flew me up and offered me the job as lecturer. And that's how I kind of full circled my way all the way back to Kent. And when was this? How long have you been at Kent now? So that was in 2010. Wow, that's awesome. And I love that you just put all your eggs in that basket with confidence <laughs> to say, no, I, I got to be there or nowhere, huh? Well, the reason why I loved it here was because we have resources that other uh, campuses don't have. The Kemp Museum that we have here is just an unbelievable resource. Like I can go in there and look at any costume, you know, or any piece of history for so many years. And I just remember thinking that that was an amazing resource. And I knew that we were dipping our toes into study away. And when I worked at Dillard's, I got a chance to go to like London, Barcelona. I went to Paris. I went to Hong Kong. I went into mainland China. So I I went to India. So I actually had quite a bit of international experience at that point. So I was kind of excited to come back and maybe get involved with that. And I did. Uh, It took a couple of years, but I got involved with the Florence program first. And then I just in the last two years have sprouted into getting into all of the programs. It was really interesting. I was really fortunate. I got to go to like uh, factories where they made sweaters. I got to go to factories where they made pants. I got to go to factories where they made shirts. Um, You know, it was just, I got to go and see them do embroidery, hand embroidery in India. I, you know, there was just some really cool things that I got a chance to see. And I was really excited to be able to share that. You got to go on these cool shopping trips. I don't know that we get to do that so much anymore. And I think COVID affected some of that unfortunately yeah but there were there was a lot of travel in my time and so I just remember thinking that you know it took me a while I remember my first flight to Hong Kong it was my first overseas flight ever and it was so long and I remember thinking oh my gosh I'm so tired and this is so exhausting and but you know to be able to be a calm sense to the students so um, I'm a group flight leader when we take the students over to Florence they can be a part of the group flight if they would like to. If you need another group flight monitor, I'd be happy to come with you. (laughs) And you wouldn't be the first person to say that to me. (laughs) No, what? Wow. How cool. Uh, Talk to me about the state of, of fashion right now. What opportunities are out there in the industry for students and what are you helping? How do you prepare students for what kind of a career they can have? Well, we are really fortunate that our students do have to do an internship before they leave here. So there is a bit of reality that they do have to get. I always tell students that they should try and do as many internships as they can, because you learn as much as what you want to do as you do what you don't want to do. And I think that that's that's a true learning moment, I think, even more if you can learn what you don't want to do and what you do want to do. And so um, that is another piece of ours. Um, They can actually do an internship if they go and study in New York, which is great because they're like right there in the middle of it, in the reality of it, which is fantastic from our New York City studio. And so that's one of the only programs that they can actually do an internship because it's very hard to do that abroad yeah, uh, because there's lots of visa issues. Um, As far as the state of fashion, things are moving quite digitally as you're talking about. So it kind of naturally goes 
into our next conversation about talking about computers because 3D is becoming important. And they're, um, we're working with new software programs where they can design on an avatar hmm. and then they can actually go ahead and see their fashion and it cuts down on and it's very sustainable. It cuts down a lot of costs. They can go ahead and see if what they're creating is what they want to be creating before it would ever leave and go to any factory. And so it really cuts down on the cost. It's a super cool program. They can try prints in it. They can do like longer, shorter hems, you know, bigger, different sleeves, you know, just really interesting. And it's actually really changing fashion because a lot of the things that you're actually seeing in a lot of retail advertisements are digitally done. They're not actual physical, real garments. (laughs) And so it's as very cool on that visual merchandising piece as it is on the design piece. So it's, it's just, there's actually a new job that's called the 3D designer, and they're actually using this type of program to be able to create all sorts of things. Target is adapting it. All sorts of different companies are adapting it. And so it's a very uh, cool, newer way for us to be creating fashion. In the course that you teach, are they learning how to use multiple softwares? Is there one that's sort of like the gold standard or what skills do they come away with? So in my class, we do a lot of Adobe Illustrator and Adobe Photoshop because they're still the sort of the standards of the industry, but there are a lot of other up and coming softwares. Uh, Procreate is one of them where they, they tend to do a lot of digital drawing now versus doing so much like hand drawing because really an Apple Pencil, you know, it really can feel so much like a pencil and Procreate's an amazing program. It's very inexpensive for them to be able to draw. There's Adobe Sketch. There's several different programs like that. Adobe in general is that kind of that program that you tend to, almost every company generally has. It's something that they can do. And then another program that the 3D that we're working in right now is Clo 3D. And so it's a, again, it's a pattern making software that you can do 2D and 3D. You can even um, do a digital runway show. And I know you mentioned the museum earlier, and I have to say for anybody that has not made the day trip out to Kent to see the fashion museum, it is it is totally worth it. Uh, you, will, you will come away with a new appreciation for the work that's being done. It is one of those careers that to me, it doesn't seem straightforward. How do you encourage people to explore it and to see if it's the right choice for them? So I think a lot of that goes into what kind of excites them about fashion. And there's so many different areas. And I try and explain to them that when you're going to, whether it's a small company where you're kind of doing, touching a lot of it, or if you're going to a larger company where you could just do color, or, I mean, there's just jobs where that's all they do is look at color all day long or they do fabrics, or they're sourcing with, you know, uh, factories overseas, or maybe they want to do the art piece of it, and they're in the art area where they're creating graphics and prints. You know, it's just a, I try and give them a realistic view that it's not, there's not just a merchandiser and a designer. There's so many different levels within that. And then on top of that, there's all these different departments. They could do trend, they could do visuals, they could do 3D, they could do color, they could do, you know, there's just so much to do that they really need to get out there and explore and get a chance to go and visit some of these companies, do the internships, get out there. And really, again, that study away piece is important because they get to go on so many mini field trips and actually go to companies, see what they do. And it really just opens their eyes for all the things that there could be a possibility. 
so for you, I know obviously you're very busy with teaching and taking on study away. You've also had a really interesting collaboration with the Jade Gown. How did this come to be? <laughs> well, so I told you that a lot of my background's in costume design, and I've been working on my MFA in costume design not too long ago. I have a colleague who teaches our history of fashion, um, history of costume course, Dr. Catherine Leslie, who's a great friend of mine. And the author, uh, Diana Dempsey, actually contacted Catherine and asked her if she knew of anybody that would be interested in this project. And it was kind of a really interesting project because it was a way to kind of bring some reality to a historical fiction character in order to get some excitement around the book. I, I don't know if you know anything about book launches, but they're, they're very kind of low profile these days. And it was Diana's um, kind of thought that as she was creating this story, which is based on a real character from St. Louis or a real person, I should say, from St. Louis and got a chance to build the story. Her name is Eliza and she um, really starts off penniless and with only the clothes on her back. And then throughout the story, she meets a gentleman named Obadiah. And Obadiah actually hires a local seamstress named Chantal to create three looks for her. And the jade gown is a really important look because it's the first time that Obadiah is going to take Eliza out into the world of, of St. Louis and be able to show her off at um, a gambling hall. We talked, we collaborated. I, I got really excited about the idea that it would be a historical gown that I could create. Um, it was kind of going, it was, she very loosely explained what the gown looked like in the book. So it gave me lots of room to wiggle. And so that was exciting for me. And so I created 28 different sketches for her. Wow. Um, with full research that I had done in the museum and um, pulling from, so the book is set 1844 to 1871. So really I did a little 1830s and 1840s um, research. Uh, we boiled it down to about six looks. Um, I knew which one was my favorite and we ended up honestly agreeing on it because of the sleeve, which was a really unique sleeve that almost looks like a hot air balloon sort of. And then um, I spent the next, really it was November to July until the dress was actually finished. So I did mock-ups. I flew up to our New York campus and fitted on um, the author's goddaughter, Amanda. She wanted to wear the gown. Diana came to campus here. We decided on colors. We met with Dr. Leslie. We made sure that we were historically accurate in color and look. We picked out the fabrics, and then when the semester ended in May, I went to town, and it took me about 126 hours to create the final gown. Oh, my God. And in July, I actually drove the gown out to St. Louis for the first book launch. Fabulous. And so it was a really cool, very interesting project. Um, it's something that I love to do, and it's done really well. She actually came back here October 12th and 13th. We did a little talk here at Kent, and then we also did a, a big um, book signing party at Books a Million at Eastwood Mall out in Youngstown. I have the images pulled up over here as I'm looking at them, and what a great way to describe the sleeve of that that air balloon look, and yeah. the idea that it is so historically accurate. You really brought this character to life through costume, and I could see it 
being in a movie someday, not too far away, right? <laughs> That's funny. There was lots of talk about that for sure at the book <laughs> at the book launch and or at the book signing out in Eastwood Mall. And I, we had a great turnout. I think we she signed over sixty books just in that one hour period. So that was amazing. Um, and there's lots of talk about where the green gown will end up eventually, and maybe it'll be in the St. Louis Museum. Um, we're just not sure. Uh, I'll probably, as an academic, I can go ahead and submit it to several different like um, conferences. And so Dr. Leslie and I will be doing that. And then eventually we'll find a home for where that green gown deserves to be. Well, it's it's stunning. Thank you. Tell me, you know, costuming versus that everyday design. They obviously have different goals. For you, what's fun about costume? I think costume is about really um, the character. And so it's really, as I sat there and did sketches and um, based it on, I actually took a lot of um, the facial features of the model that they wanted it, you know, Diana wanted it to be on. But it was kind of fun to imagine who Eliza was, what Eliza would wear. Um, There were different pieces. There were certain um, statements within the book, like it wasn't the most ornate gown, that it could have used more trimming. So like there were so many pieces of that that I really kept in mind when as I would be drawing like, oh, you know, I did one with a couple of bows and I kept thinking, no, that's too much. There was a line in in the book that said that the woman should wear the dress, the dress shouldn't wear the woman. And that was something that was really important to me that it was more in the look of the dress that kind of stood out like you know you see the tucks and you see the pleats but it's not overwhelming the model and so that was kind of really important to me also the color you know just that beautiful jade green that just really like you couldn't stop looking at was really important to me and it really looks good on almost anybody that I've put on in that dress just that color is just a standout color Well, we will make sure we link in the show notes all of the photos on Kent's website so people can check out the gown for themselves. And again, the, the novel by Diana Dempsey is The Unstoppable Eliza Haycraft. It's a great story. It's based on a real life person, but there's so little to be known about her that there was a lot that Diana had a chance to dig around and really learn about. So it's a very cool story. Well, Mrs. G or Prof G, I I so appreciate your time today. Thanks for talking with us. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. You can find out more about Trista and the Jade Gown online. We've linked to the design and some of the recent press in our show notes, as well as information about Kent's School of Fashion. Trista is on Instagram at Mrs. G Fashion. Next up for her, she's designing some costuming for the Kent Historical Society's 50th anniversary. The Prof PodQuest is produced by Six City Marketing, an SEO and digital marketing agency headquartered in Cleveland, Ohio. Subscribe wherever you find your podcasts so you won't miss our next conversation. Also, if you like the show, leave a review to help others find us too. Today's episode was produced by Sarah Bloxich, Steve DiMatteo, John Salmon, and me, Sarah Shookman. It was edited by John Oyster. Our theme music is Clinical Trial by Eric Vargas. Cover art design by Laura Perrin. To learn more, visit SixCityMarketing.com.